What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Elevate Experience. The podcast about overcoming struggles and adversity and how that relates to addiction, recovery, and health. I am your host and the CEO of Elevate Addiction Services, Angie Manson. And I'm Dallas Terrell, co-host and life intervention counselor at Elevate. Thank you so much for joining us, and let's jump right in. So uh, today we're really excited to bring Emma Petrack onto our show. And we realize it's not our normal uh, type of show where we focus on recovery or people who've overcome addiction or different realms of that. I really took a strong interest in Emma uh, in watching her podcast and the people that she brought on and just the amazing work she's doing and realizing that as a society, we don't pay attention enough to this epidemic that's occurring. And we're hoping to raise some awareness so that people can start looking around and identifying if this might be happening in their own backyard or people they know or different situations. Uh, So without uh, further ado, Emma, welcome to our show. You guys, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. And I just want to thank you so much for covering this topic, even though it isn't something you normally would. It's really something we do need to talk about more. And you're setting such a great example for other content creators. And I hope it influences other people to follow your lead. So thank you. Yeah, of course. It's so good to have you. And I'm I'm very intrigued, interested, upset, I guess would be another word too, to mm-hmm. talk about some of this stuff. But like I think you guys both said, it's important. And, you know, there's awareness on a lot of things. And this is something that's just equally important. And I'm super excited. So I guess, where would we like to start? There's There's so much we could get into and areas to go down. Well, why don't we start with you? Why, how, what drew you to this? What put you into researching and putting people on your podcast and specializing in this? Gosh, that is a great question. Um, I feel like this work chose me in a way. Um, it's not something that I knew I was going to get into, but I think we all this past year, year and a half got thrown into a lot of different mindsets and thought patterns that we never had before you know, 2020 really disrupted us a lot mentally and emotionally. And I think it made a lot of people start realizing that, Hey, there's a lot of things I don't have answers for. I'm going to start looking myself to see if I, if I can see through some of this, cause there's so much being thrown at us. So obviously there's a lot of politics going on this past year. There's a lot of events going on in the world, a lot of tension, a lot of division. And one aspect of all of this that I noticed kept coming up was child trafficking. And I didn't quite know how it was mixed into all of it or why it was continually being thrown into some of these rabbit holes that I was going down. So I thought, gosh, even if there's only a 1% chance that this is true, that these crimes against children happen, I want to at least know about it. So I'm aware because I wasn't, I've never learned about this before. Um, I had heard, I think all of us, you watch the news or you, you pick up a magazine or whenever you're young, milk cartons, we're exposed in weird ways. Even if it's walking through a train station or going somewhere and you see a sign for a missing child. Um, but at the same time, I think it's something we're so conditioned to seeing, especially from the milk cartons being little that we just tend to kind of walk by and you think, well, somebody else is going to take care of that. And you, you think it's kind of um, a one in a million chance that it happens, that it's something that, easily, these children are going to be easily found and brought back to their parents. And again, that somebody else is kind of taking care of that. And what I discovered was that just in America alone, there's about a million children a year that are reported missing. Wow. And you never see a single article about it. You never see that making a headline. That is a significant number 
of children reported missing. And those stats really staggered me. So I started looking in other countries. Is this just America? And you realize that these numbers add up. And this is a multi-million children go missing every year. And it's a $150 billion industry as a whole. It's almost surpassing the drug industry and what it's generating every year. And it would sit at the top of the Forbes 500. And that flabbergasted me. And I thought, oh my gosh, there's all this division happening. Child trafficking is something that's actually unifying. Nobody hears these stories and it doesn't pit each other against each other. And there's nobody bringing awareness to it. I shouldn't say that. There's some really great people bringing awareness to it. But I should say in mainstream, there's not a strong campaign behind child trafficking, even though this really is an epidemic happening in the world. This is a massive problem that we're not being told about in mainstream media. And it's being covered up a lot of times whenever you try to look for it, or it's deemed a conspiracy theory. And it really does this injustice because there's a lot of children right now. There's millions of children in the system right now. There's billions of dollars being generated and there's people going on with their lives, not asking questions about it. So I really decided to devote my time to it. When I started looking into it, realizing I couldn't find material on it. I was digging through articles, hours and hours and hours of research on this. And I had to dig so deep to even find statistics, to find actual survivors of human trafficking, satanic ritual abuse, uh, trauma-based mind control, and other types of abuse. I had to really dig to even be able to find a survivor. And when I did, shortly after, a lot of times they're deleted from social media platforms. And I'm thinking, why are their voices being silenced? What what about this is, is so great that there's people that don't want us to know? So I really just started digging. And after about a year of this, I... I had been very vocal about it that year on social media and really made a case in point of, Hey, we need to look into this. We need to start asking questions. Where are all these millions of children who is pocketing all this money? Where is this happening? Why is this happening? How is this happening? We need to ask questions. We need to cover this subject. And I had, I had just started up a podcast and I didn't have a complete vision on it. I just knew I wanted to talk about things that other people weren't. Um, I wanted to to bring light like you guys do to hard subjects. And I wanted to feature guests that would offer insight that you don't find on just every podcast, that it's subjects that aren't talked about all the time. There's a lot of people, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur myself. There's no lack of entrepreneur podcasts, but I couldn't find even a podcast that talked about human trafficking. And that was a problem to me. There's millions of podcasts on these platforms, millions and millions of episodes, tons of different platforms. And I was struggling to even find one episode that covered this. So I thought, all right, I'm going to stand out like a sore thumb and and it's going to be something different. I don't even know if people will listen, but I need to put action where my words are. And this is a small way on top of my full-time job that I can devote action towards doing something that I'm passionate about and, and actually talking about it and doing something with the knowledge that I have. So I ended up connecting with a few survivors on social media as I was looking and and getting more into this, which then opened up the door to finding more survivors. And I thought, oh my gosh, this light bulb switched. And I thought, I'm going to devote my podcast. I'm going to create a survivor series. And I thought in my head, I'm going to, I'm going to devote about five episodes. I, I know about five survivors. And then all of a sudden, as I'm doing this, I'm getting hundreds of subscribers on YouTube. And I've, I've only had this channel for about three months I've been doing this. 
thousands. Some of my videos are getting thousands and thousands of, of hits and shares. Um, I'm growing by the hundreds every month in my following. People are sharing, they're interested, and I'm having more survivors step forward saying, hey, I've been silenced my whole life too. Can I tell my story? Hey, can I tell my story too? And it's just been this ongoing thing. And over 20 episodes later, I'm I'm just devoting my podcast as long as as long as it takes to get all these stories heard, because this information is incredible. I feature everything from how I was saying earlier, the satanic ritual abuse to human trafficking to trauma-based mind control to domestic abuse, pedophilia. And what you realize is these stories, they're all encompassing of every race, every nationality, every gender every age even. And there's no discriminatory purpose to these crimes. And a lot of the people that are committing them are right in our own communities, they're right in our own towns, in our own states, and it's all around the world. And so that opened up my eyes to really wanting to feature all walks of life, all different ages of survivors, parents who are going through um, having their children trafficked and fighting to get them back all different types, because this is going on. And again, millions of children are involved with this. Lots of parents have these, uh, very unjust, um, sentences that they've been granted that basically traffic the children to the abusive parent and they're fighting to get their kids back. And all these stories are silenced from us listening to them. So that was really how I got into it. And it's been just an incredible journey, the support I've got. I was really nervous doing it because nobody else. Does. And I'm thinking, gosh, if nobody else is doing it, why? You know, is it because they don't want to talk about it? Is it because what happens when they do? So it's really helped me build courage in a different way that I didn't have. Um, being able to deal with adversity because I have gotten a lot of pushback for it, but I've gotten a hundred more times more support for it because a lot of people I'm realizing had the same issue I did of. I'm, I'm hearing that this is happening, but I have no idea where to get information for. And so really what, what I want my podcast to be is a directory where everything that you want to learn is in one place and you get it from the sources, just like you would learn entrepreneurship from Andy Frisella or Ed Milet, right? These are people that actually had these experiences that can speak upon it better than I can, better than the, even the news can, if the news were to cover it. And better than anybody who's just researching. I thought, why not bring that source to people so they can actually learn from people who experienced it firsthand. So that was really how I got into that. And it's just been this ongoing project that I'm increasingly becoming more and more passionate about. And I'm, I'm getting connected with just these really amazing survivors that have been fighting for years and pioneering the, this knowledge for years without being listened to and you know, it's like, I'm, I'm kind of opening up that door for other content creators, hopefully like you guys, um, to want to feature this topic after hearing about it and saying, gosh, why is nobody talking about this? I want to give a voice to the voiceless, right? So I, I just want to acknowledge and validate you because the work that you're doing and the amount of people that you've gotten to come on the show has been amazing. And I love that you've made it so comfortable and safe that now more and more survivors are reaching out to you, wanting to communicate what's happening, which is helping them heal, which is helping them get better, which is, you know, them doing their part to help others who might be in a similar situation. So I'm just, again, really amazed um, and, and really proud of you for the platform that you've created that's, that's allowed others to come forward as well. Thank you so much. That means the world to me. Yeah, of course. And I guess for the audience too, where, what is your podcast called so they can find it too and listen to these survivor stories. And if they want to learn more, where could they find you? 
It's called the Imagination Podcast. And I'm on Spotify, Apple. I'm on a bunch of like iHeartRadio. There's a bunch of yeah. kind of third party podcasting platforms I'm on. And then I started a YouTube channel as well about three months ago with the same name, the Imagination Podcast. I love that. Okay, cool. Well, I'm definitely going to check that out too after this. But yeah, I mean, I disagree. Uh, I not disagree. I just agree with Angie as well, where it's it's so cool to hear about people being called into these these crazy purposes and these crazy callings, like you said, it found you and, you know, trying to 10 years ago, you would have never expected that this was the work that you were doing and found yourself in. And yeah, it's, it's, it's admirable. It's honorable. And I'm, I'm so glad that we get to talk about something and bring some light to bring some light to the dark, I guess, you know, and I, yeah, I'm very excited to learn more and, and figure out how I can help too. And, and share with the audience what there is to do to be aware and how they can help and talk about resources and solutions. And I'm just excited to get into all of that. Yeah. Well, and also, and, and, and I'll let you talk, Emma, but I'm just, it's not for the faint of heart, you know? And I think that's why a lot of people look away is because it's very hard to hear. It's very hard to see. It's very hard to, even for myself, watch the videos and hear the survivors. And, you know, I'm crying as well. It's hard to hear, but it's almost like, you know, we as a society want to turn away from that stuff, but that's why it's gotten so bad. And so we have to raise up our confront to look at it and say, okay, what can I do to help or change this? So again, thank you for your work. And what I really want people to understand is that we're familiarizing ourselves with abuse, but in a completely different way. Like we're not ashamed to make a movie like Saw which is basically torture porn, number one at the box office and see movies like that repeatedly. But we refuse to look at what's actually happening in our in our world and making that a number one priority to see plastered all over the news and making that a part of our normal conversations. So I think if we really just try to reframe some of the things that we are familiarizing ourselves with and saying it is uncomfortable, it is something that is not for the faint of heart. And what I want people to understand, even in my role doing this, it's really hard for me. Like most podcasts, your people, the people featured are talking about the most amazing, successful accomplishments and moments in their life and the moments leading up to that. And my first time talking to somebody a lot of times on these podcasts is them being vulnerable enough to tell the absolute worst horrors that you could ever think a human go through. So it is hard, but I tell people if it's hard to listen to, imagine going through it and millions of right. children are going through it. And just because it's not your child, it doesn't mean that it can't happen to your child. It doesn't mean that it couldn't have been your child or you. And it doesn't mean that you don't know people that are going through it. And a lot of times these cases aren't concluded. They're not solved and they're not even recognized because people don't even know or have the awareness that it's even happening. So they don't even know what to look for, where to look for it. And so a lot of times these cases fly under the radar and we're completely unaware of it. It's not something that's sitting in our conscious mind that that we're even able to comprehend happening because we don't even have the awareness that it is. Oh, of course. And it's like kudos to you too for being able to hold a space where talking about that stuff is okay, right? Where it's like creating a space for it to be safe and it to be okay for those things to exist. Kind of like we were talking about earlier where it's not for the faint of heart. It's super difficult to sit with that. I couldn't imagine, like you said, being on the other side. I couldn't imagine, like you said, that happening 
to a person, you know? So definitely, I could definitely relate to that in a sense of counseling. I've done counseling my whole career here at Elevate, seven years of just holding a space where it's okay to go through all these traumatic things and holding the space for the conversation, allowing these people to just be heard and tell their story and not be judged or not be shamed or any of that stuff is far more therapeutic than anything I could verbally say. But if I can create a space where it's okay for that to exist and we could talk about it and move forward and, and process like that's where all that healing happens. So in a way you get to be part of the healing of them by owning the story and, and processing it in real time on your podcast. That's badass. I feel like one of the things that we miss in connecting with each other is when we're always trying to show up being perfect, we miss those moments of connecting deeply with people. You know, when you think yeah. about your best friends or the people that mean the most to you in your life, you look at the hardest situations you've ever overcome. Well, after the emotions have even died down, what you end up remembering in time are the people who stood there with you. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's all we need is just for somebody to sit and listen. You know, I can't tell you how many survivors after we work together or just listening on an initial call or connecting said, gosh, you actually cried. I wasn't expecting you to sit there and cry and you were speechless sometimes. And sometimes all we want is just somebody to listen and sit there and cry with us and say, I hear you. So that has been something I've really tried to embody on my podcast because I want people to see that real raw emotion. Like it is when I'm being told some of this information, a lot of it, I'm learning for the first time or I'm hearing it from the person's mouth for the first time. And it shocks me into tears, you know, just thinking that this is happening. And I think we need to normalize that more in society. I think we need, it's great to see all these picture perfect filtered pictures and, and moments, but really what brings us together are are our traumas and the times yeah. that we don't feel a hundred percent and the times that we really just want somebody to connect with us and just listen and just sit there with us, even if they have nothing to say. But it's, I'm almost, as I'm listening to you say it, I almost wonder if it's the fact that we, or that you don't know them, that it almost makes it easier for them to trust and confide and communicate because, you know, the people that you're with, they're either judging or they're like, did that really happen? Or who did that? You know, so I think maybe just you're super safe because you're not so connected that it would bring something else to what was the experience is. So I think that's probably really healthy and beneficial as well. I agree. Wow. Yeah. I'm really excited to talk about like, like almost like the success story of, of being involved in human, tra human trafficking or ch child trafficking. Like, have you spoken with survivors that have overcome it and are super successful and happy or at least making progress in whatever they view progress is? Do you have some stories like that at all? I do. Oh my gosh. It's, it's incredibly inspiring. Again, a lot of these survivors um, that I've had on my show, they've literally overcome death. Some of them have actually died, whether it was a suffocation that they went through or some horrible abuse where they were basically deemed dead and they came yeah. back after time after time again. And a lot of them it's, I feel that after you overcome something like that, the everyday challenges are still really hard, but they have a different, um, they have a different stereotype in their mind than we might, where if you've never experienced major trauma, something like starting a business could be really traumatic because it, it throws you out of element so much. 
And I think for survivors, you know, a lot of people want to have pity on them. And the one thing I want to tell people is survivors are the greatest heroes and the most courageous and brave people you will ever meet. And they are the people that you don't have to worry about what they can overcome because they've already overcome things that most people would either be broken by they, that would kill them. Um, and that do kill a lot of people globally and in, um, the world. So these are people that have their bulletproof. They can overcome anything. They're the strongest people I've ever met. And a lot of them are taking initiative and trying to do something great with, with what their story is. Um, one of the survivors I featured, her name is Samantha Brown. Um, she's in the UK. Her story actually was international. She was one of the few survivors of satanic ritual abuse and human trafficking and uh, mind control that actually sent her abuser to prison. And it made front news headlines. His name was the pimp of Birmingham. If you were to go look him up. Um, so her story really is legitimized because she actually got her case heard in court and sent her perpetrator to prison. Wow. Um she owns about three businesses now, two nonprofits supporting human trafficking, and she owns a company called One Self Wellbeing that promotes holistic health modalities to help with your uh, balance the minerals in your body, balance your hormones, and to do it in a way that's natural, whether it's using sea moss and a lot of different holistic ingredients. What that says is, how do I use my story instead of letting my story use me? And I think that's something so strong that even if you haven't gone through these traumas, that's a, a lesson all of us can take with us and look at every challenge in our life and say, am I letting my story use me or am I taking the gift of my story and doing something really great with it? So I'm seeing nonprofits. Um, there's a few content creators. So a couple of survivors I featured, Jeremy Indica and Ryan Gatsby, two male survivors that are speaking out from the UK. They both are content creators and they're creating short films. They're brainstorming together and finding really creative ways to bring light to abuse in ways that are palatable. So through entertainment and content. So instead of being the picture perfect YouTube star where you see them on the yachts and in their you know, perfect yeah. body, they're making very professional videos and content with actors and stages and lighting and um, videography, and they're creating it with really hard subjects, but it makes it palatable to watch because you feel like you're watching a story, something that you're familiar with. So I'm Absolutely. seeing a lot of that too, where survivors are saying, how do I turn my story into something palatable in a way that most people are used to digesting? If they don't have the time to go research, how can I create almost a fictional or a biographical content creation and bring that to light, post it on social media, put it on YouTube and have people absorb the information that way where there's a beginning and middle and end to the story. Um, so that's something too, that I hope that we see more of in the future. My friend, Jeremy, that I was just talking about, he had a great idea of the show, the queen's gambit that aired on Netflix. Yeah. I don't know if you guys saw that, but that show was amazing how it brought light to a dying game of chess. And all of a sudden after the show airs, uh, places like Amazon, um, different chess making companies that actually make the game boards are sold out. So it, it accelerated chess, something that people don't care about. And it's something that people were so eager to learn. It brought back a dying, a dying trend that was popular a long time ago, but that has lost interest as technology and things have come and interfered with, you know, board actual board games. So he said, imagine if people took that concept and did with child abuse or human trafficking, what the queen's gambit did with chess 
imagine if people started thinking that way of, okay, if people don't want to go read an article, how do I bring the material to them in a way that they're used to being exposed to other material and they're used to watching hard things. People watch horror movies and thrillers all the time. So why not make it something that you can learn from in a way that's, that's digestible and palatable for people. So it is really incredible. And that's something that I couldn't be more proud seeing. And I think it's really inspiring whether you've gone through extreme trauma or whether you're healing from a breakup or um, losing a job or another event that, that would be very traumatic for somebody when we're healing, it's really important that we don't get sucked into that and let that become our identity when it could really be something great and a gift that we give the world. And I think survivors do an amazing job of showcasing just what you can do with the hardest time in your life to make a light from the darkness that you've experienced. So it is, it's really neat. And I've been, it's, it's been an honor. Even a lot of them have created books. So I would say about half the survivors that I featured, they're either creating a book right now, or they've had one or two out that are trying to educate people. So even that, right. It's like making a book is hard for even somebody that's never experienced trauma in their lives. And you see these survivors jumping in, talking about these really hard subjects and things, personal things about themselves, just so people like us can learn. I love that. There's so many parallels to uh, people who've overcome addiction, you know, same sort of thing, you know, are you going to let it define you and be the victim of this your whole life? Or are you going to overcome it? And those that overcome it do better than most people because they've done all the work, they've addressed the trauma, they've worked harder and pushed harder and they've overcome massive things. So they actually realize they're capable of anything. So I see a lot of parallels there with drug addiction and survivors for sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I was thinking too. Like, you know, I mean, I think the big thing that keeps coming up is like the, the trauma and experiencing trauma as a human being, you're going to experience trauma in your life a hundred percent. And the thing that makes the thing that makes it okay is that there's other people out there that have gone through it and are doing okay as well, right? So it's kind of like creating the hope or the idea that things will work out even though the unbelievable happened to you, right? Like people that lose someone like a father or brother or a sister or just someone important in their life, it's traumatic because it's such an unbelievable event. It's so hard to digest or process that it's real. You know, and when you can get support, whether it be in a movie or whether it be in the newspaper or a podcast, essentially we're just adding more support and we're creating more awareness so that the people out there that have been through these things have somewhere to look to, have someone to say, hey, I, this happened to me too and it's okay. Because Absolutely, yes. It's, you know, we don't have any trouble accepting that 1% of people might make it to the million dollar check that they get or to be a billionaire. But the other statistic that we're ignoring is that only 1% of those millions of human trafficking victims actually make it out to become a survivor. 1% out of those millions and millions of children actually make it out. Most of them, their shelf life is only seven years. And after that, a lot of them, they either die or they're kind of tossed to the side and you know, they're, they're forgotten about in society or they go, many of them go into prostitution um, yeah. because that's the way that they grew up and they continue that cycle or it's generational, but only 1% actually make it out and change that pattern um, and actually make it out alive, which is, wow, that's staggering. That's a percentage that I think people should be paying attention to just as much as they're 
interested in these, you know, multimillionaires and the, and the people that we tend to glorify. That's great. Glorify those people, but we also need to glorify what a, what a heroic and courageous thing for somebody to have overcome in their life to be that 1% that's here to educate they don't make millions of dollars doing it. They do it out of the goodness of their hearts. So we're aware that this is happening. 1%. I mean, that's just, 1%. that's, that's awful. I can't even wrap my head around how little that is when we're talking about a billion dollar industry and millions and millions of kids across the whole world. Like 1% is such a small number that actually makes it out. Kind yeah. And people say, you know, well, it's a conspiracy theory. Why would people want children? And you have to think, right? Unlike drugs, which are used once and they're sold once, it's disgusting to say, but a child, a child can be used over and over and over and over again. And like I said, the average shelf life of a human trafficking victim is seven years. So that is a lot of money over that seven year or less or more period that somebody's in that system. It's very, very valuable. And it's not just sex trafficking. There's organ harvesting. So organs from children are worth a lot more and they're they're healthier and more vital to our body than adult organs, which might've gone through years of wear and tear. That's a huge business, organ harvesting. So a lot of these children's organs are harvested. Um, and then there's also labor trafficking, which I think is probably the most familiar for people that they're able to kind of wrap their mind around or child slaves. So working for whether it's a corporation or a small business and being part of that, that labor team, that's actually cogging the wheels, even though maybe you're three, four, five, six, seven, eight years old, you're not nearly old enough and you're doing very, very strenuous and oftentimes um, fatal labor um, for whoever Jeez. it is that they're working for. So this is a, it's a really big problem. It's not just one thing. There's many ways that you can take a healthy child and use them um, over and over and over again, repeatedly, repeatedly over that period of time. And that is why it's, it's such a lucrative business. And that's why children, unfortunately, are such a hot commodity um, in the world, because there's so many different ways that you can utilize it. And again, it, it's something that you can sell a child over and over and over again, and make money with one product instead of having to continually find a source for something like a drug that can only be used and sold once. Wow. Yeah, no, that's a good distinction to make. That makes sense. And it's, it, it sucks that it makes sense. You know, it's sick. It's sick to think about what people do to make money sometimes, you know, and, and kind of like you alluded to earlier, right, where you were like, what is making this like, why is this exist? And it's always the dollar, right? Like follow the dollar and you'll find the, the people and the reason it's, it's insane. But I was just thinking while you were talking, uh, have you ever seen the hats that say like shoot your local heroin dealer? Have you ever seen that before? Or they make t-shirts. There yeah. needs to be some sort of like t-shirt or hat that says like shoot your local human trafficker or something like <laughs> that. Cause it's so loud. Those, it's such a loud funny. statement. Yeah. yeah. I've seen like something about um, shoot your local pedophile or something. I've seen a couple of those. Gotcha. So it is, I, I, I agree though. I wish that there was more cause we do tend to see more people villainizing drugs. That's more normal to talk about. Of course. Yeah. And we're not normalizing the conversation of, Hey, this is a problem too, you know, and this is going to quickly surpass the drug industry and what it's, what it's grossing every year financially for people involved. Of course. So, so I'm going to, I want to take that and I want to kind of shift gears with this because 
as I was growing up, it was funny, you mentioned the milk carton. So I grew up in fear I was going to get kidnapped all the time for some reason. And then <laughs> as a teenager, I put myself into, as a young teenage drug addict, I put myself into so many very dangerous situations of where I'm 100% convinced I had an angel sitting on my shoulder the whole time making sure that I got to where I got to today um, for those reasons, because I easily could have gotten kidnapped and put into one of these rings. And then raising a daughter, those fears drove me as well. So obviously, like what I'm talking about is you're putting yourself in a dangerous situation, you're easy bait. But I think the more common and way less talked about is the what's occurring in the homes, in our neighborhoods and in our communities. And I really want you to talk about that because I don't think people think about this whatsoever. I know I didn't until you brought it to light for me. So one story that I love alluding to is I know when I was younger, I was surrounded by girlfriends who we'd always joke about the creepy uncle in the family or the creepy grandpa it just was normal. And I had um, some experiences myself that I would joke about with, with my family and with my friends. And you look back at that and you think, gosh, it's interesting how society normalizes these creepy encounters with people. And you're almost supposed to shrug it off. It's a very uncomfortable topic. And what I came to realize as an adult is that most parents aren't aware that this is happening. So they, they aren't aware that there's conversations to be had with children about what to look for and, and how to, how to use your body as, um, as the temple that it is and to understand how to protect it and what to say yes and no to, um, what's appropriate, what's not. And you realize whenever you, you kind of look back historically with conversations that you've had, how common this is, even just on very base levels, even if it is just an uncle or a grandpa that kind of looks at you funny and, and makes you feel weird or gives you kind of a weird vibe or puts his arm around you. And this isn't just targeted to men. There's many women who are also um, very active pedophiles or um, perpetrators in this industry also. I'm just going by stories that I'm, I'm telling you about stories with my girlfriends that I had about these creepy people, but you realize that this is actually very common that it happens very often within your own family or with a stepdad or a stepbrother. And we need to take that information and realize that if it's, if it's happening just that much with our own family and our friends that we've had, imagine our neighbors, imagine our, our state, imagine our cities, imagine our country, imagine how prevalent even just these small grooming tactics are between a perpetrator and a victim, even if it is just a flirt or a little touch around the waist, this stuff happens all the time. Um, I know even for me, if there's been times that I've been out, whether it's by myself or been out with friends and a guy walks by me and, and gropes me around my waist and I have no idea who it is. And you kind of look at him. And it's like, why did you just touch me like that? Why is that normal that you're okay coming up to a complete stranger and touching them in a very intimate way, right? And that's where we really need to focus. We need to get better as a society of not laughing that off and being like, oh, that's just creepy uncle or a creepy grandpa or creepy stepdad, just stay away from him or just brush those people off. We need to start having those conversations where we say, no, that's not okay. And we also need to start having conversations of, are my neighbors okay? Is this happening potentially in my family? Could my, um, my nieces and nephews have influences? Could my children be going through this at school? Um, a lot of pedophiles that end up being um, arrested are actually authority figures in society that are working with children. They're 
um, sports coaches, their um, pediatricians, their elementary school, high school, middle school teachers. They are people that we, they're daycare providers. They're people that are in our everyday society that pose as people that want to care for our children, that we're conditioned to not question. And if our children don't know the proper anatomy, um, one thing that's, that's really been helpful for me to learn to advise parents is use proper anatomy whenever you're raising a child. Oftentimes when a child gets put in court and they're trying to decide which parent to put the child with, if a child doesn't know what a penis is and they think it's called a willy, they don't know how to answer the question when they're asked, is this person touching you appropriately here? They will say no, because that's not the word that they grew up knowing, but that is the technical term that they will use in court and that will be questioned with a child. And so that's one really important thing is helping children have a relationship with their body and to know the proper words and to not be ashamed of talking about it as far as, Hey, grandpa, or this person, they touched me here in this place. And this is what it's called. Or I feel really, um, I feel really uncomfortable when this person's around because this, or this person did this to me. We need to start having those conversations more because it really does. This is, this is something that's happening so prevalently. And these people are placed in society. They're normal people. That's the thing people don't realize. You're either picturing people on the Epstein level where it's these conspiracy theory stories that we really don't know 100%, but we see glimpses. Um, Jeffrey Epstein brought down a lot of information and opened up a lot of eyes just to this is happening. But that's such a small amount of people that we're not focused on our own communities. We're not focused on our local CPS that is taking in children and we're trusting them to put them in good homes. When a lot of these families that are in CPS are actually human trafficking. The CPS system, they're actually known for being one of the biggest trafficking agencies in the world. And whether it's the CPS that we know here in other countries, it's called something different. But a lot of these nonprofit organizations that we trust, um, they actually take kids that they rescue and they put them back into CPS or CPS related organizations. And they don't realize that a lot of these families that are involved with receiving and fostering kids through CPS are actually, they are paid pimps and they are paid families that host children. They abuse them. Um, I actually did a podcast with a girl who went through the system. She was in um, 80 some homes and almost 20 of them sexually abused her, raped her, did something really horrific to her in those homes. And she realized very quickly that this is something that it's a cycle and these people are placed in there. They pose as very good families. Like I said, they're not your creepy crackhead looking person that you see on TV who just got arrested with the creepy mugshot. This is the pastor at your church. This is the the affluent pediatrician in your city that, that is friends with and sees a lot of, of families. This is the, the soccer coach that's been with your team for, you know, 15 years at the same school and who has a great reputation. A lot of these cases, because children don't know how to enunciate what's going on. They're not taught we're not even taught this as adults that this is happening. So imagine a child being thrown into this and their brain's not even fully developed. They don't know what they're consenting to. They don't know what's right and wrong. All that they know is, well, this person said that it makes them feel good. And it, it, they told me that that I'm friends with them. And this is what you do as a friend. So I'm going to do it. There's a lot of grooming that takes place in a lot of these situations where pedophiles, they're very great at manipulating and knowing what to say to a child to get them to consent. Even though children can't, they 
they groom them into agreeing and going along with what they're doing. And the child never asks a question because they're so convinced that this is just what you do. You're my friend and, and you care about me and you tell me you love me. So this is what happens. And the thing I really want people to, to just consider is, yeah, the Epstein story, it, it was great because it brought awareness to this topic to everybody. Everybody was now aware that this existed, but the level of the Epstein case is something that we're probably not going to know a lot about for a while. It's not something that um, is really easy to access with all the people that they say is involved. And some of it could be conspiracy. We don't know yet, but what's not a conspiracy is the that this happens on the ground level, right in your own city, states, countries, and globally. This isn't just some elite thing that happens. This can be generational to where satanic ritual abuse, for example, is something we've focused on lately, which is um, a generational ancestral family pattern that gets passed down generation to generation. There are ancestral families that have these specific abuse tactics that they do to children under the age of five. And it continues on through their life, but the focus is really under five because what happens is when you abuse a child under that age, um, their brain ends up compartmentalizing the events and they get these split off what's called an alter. So they used to call it uh, multiple personality disorder. It's now known as um, dissociative identity disorder. Today, they've changed it. Um, they used to think that they were these separate personalities, but what happens is when you experience trauma to the point where you're almost dead um, or you're dying, it's too much for the child's body. So their brain creates a separate compartment to, to deal with that trauma. So that way they can go to school and they don't have to think about it. And it stores way deep in their brain. And then whenever they're exposed to that trauma, again, their brain switches, goes back into that alter that personality um, even though it's not a personality, that's what they used to call it, but it goes into this separate altar, the separate part of them. And that part of them deals with that abuse again. And what happens is a child can actually develop hundreds of compartments in their brain that each deal with maybe a separate family member or a separate type of abuse, or maybe during a ritual, there's five different things that are traumatic that the child's dealing with. And there's five different parts of them dealing with that. And so what happens is in, a, in the child's everyday life, they can go back to, to playing, to being a regular kid, to going to school, and they have no idea that these events are even happening. They might know that something's wrong intrinsically. Their gut might tell them something's wrong with me, but I don't know what, but they literally have no conscious recollection of what's actually happening to them. And after about 20, 30 years of this, that programming starts to break down and it's done on purpose as a child, because if you make a child have amnesia to what they're going through, then they, they don't have the conscious awareness. They don't, they don't even know what's happening to go tell somebody that it's happening. And it becomes such a deep part of their unconscious mind that a lot of people never break out of their programming. And then they, it becomes so normal to them that they carry it into their kids after that. And they traumatize their kids. So their kids go through that same mental process. And this abuse is horrific. It is absolutely horrific. It's so prevalent. A lot of these um, cults that you hear of that are taken down are these pedophile rings. That's essentially what is being taken down whenever you hear about that. There are these generational cults that generationally abuse children over and over and over and over again. It stays in the family. And again, these people live everyday normal lives. They look normal whenever you see them. They participate in society. Um, they can be a, a pastor at your own church. 
They can be your, um, your family that you run into at the PTO meetings at school it can be the principal, the, the coach. There's a lot of people in society that are carrying down these patterns for children and it's, it's being covered up and it's not being talked about. And it's a topic that in my opinion is one of the most important topics because it's one of the most horrific. Um, the fact that it, it creates this, this identity disorder in a child and it, it, it happens throughout their whole lives. Um, you can integrate and heal from some of that. And there's some survivors who, who end up getting full integrations where they can function fully and they don't feel that they have the altars existing within them anymore, that they're integrated and they're whole again. But this type of abuse is so horrific. And again, 1% of people make it out of these systems. And many of them just function normally in society and they're taught from a young age how to do it. It's not... It's not this random thing when people are like, well, how did a pedophile end up becoming a pediatrician? Again, these are very normal people. They, they don't have a recollection a lot of times at, at those young ages of what they went through. And if they ever even do have a breakdown and end up getting the flashbacks of the memories, that doesn't even happen for at least 20, 30 years after the events. And many times the programming doesn't break until maybe their 60s, 70s, or maybe it never does. Um, but those are some things to look for just as you're going to church and as you're sitting down in a restaurant and as you're sitting at your PTO meeting or, or you're at a sporting event, you know, I encourage parents. And even if you're not a parent, I don't have kids and this is the biggest fight of my life. You know, I'm fighting for everybody's kids because I can't imagine going through that as a kid. And for me, if, if I was trapped in that system and I didn't have my Instagram, and I didn't have an inability to ask for help, I would pray that somebody was out there trying to speak on behalf of me and, and bring awareness to what I'm actually going through. So look at the people around you, be more observant. You know, one thing I've really started doing is if I see, if I see kids around me, I'm very hyper aware, like who, who are they with? How are they reacting with that person? Do their relationships look normal? How are the adults around them interacting? If a kid's sitting alone because their parent went to the bathroom, I will watch that child until the parent gets back. You know, there's so many little things that we can do because it can happen like that. You know, there's predators that are everywhere. It can be a very great family and the mother leaves the child to go to the restroom and she comes back and that child was just swooped right from the table. You know, it happens so frequently and there's not a lot you can do after the child is taken. It's very hard, right? Hence the milk carton campaigns and all these different missing children um, that go missing all around the world. There's millions of them. So being just hyper aware of what's happening in your own communities, taking it seriously. If a kid does come to you, even if it is your own kid, if it's somebody else's kid and says, Hey, this person's making me feel uncomfortable, you know, don't shame a child for what they're telling you, because that's how these things end up getting covered is the child feels delegitimized talking about it. And they don't feel it's important or they're just told to, you know, kind of laugh it off. And so that ends up happening. And these, these cases just get buried. They just get brushed under the rug and the abuse just continues. And a lot of times abusers have been through abuse. So if we can stop the abuse and educate on the healing of that abuse, just like with drugs and alcohol, it sets people up for a better future to where they're not passing those patterns down or they're not inheriting them themselves and repeating that whether it's to people that they love or to children or creating that next generation of abuse, they're breaking that pattern. No, that's huge. Those are great. Those are great takeaways and, and things that, you know, audience listening, myself included can, 
can take with us as far as being part of the solution, not the problem, you know, kind of one of the things it sounded like where it's like the, the kids aren't, aren't believed. It's like, what are you, what are you talking about? What are you saying? It's, it's, it's the older people's denial around the idea that allows it to get missed in the first place. So if all of us are conscious and present and aware that things like this, things like this exist, we can prevent them from happening. And it, it seems simple. We want there to be this like way more of like a concrete, tangible answer, but essentially it's just being more aware and more vigilant that things like this occur. And because it's difficult to hear or understand, you can't just act like it's not. And I think another big thing you pointed to as well was it's the people that you wouldn't expect it. And of course it's that way. That That is the way it is because of that way. We don't, they don't want people to expect it. So if there's people that don't want you to know, how would you ever know, right? Unless you were just hyper aware. And so I think those are huge takeaways to, for the audience and myself, right? Like we can't be in denial ourselves of it because we'll just project that out into the world and just keep missing it and it'll keep being a problem. <laughs> so I, I think right. simple for me is easy. Like to me, those are simple enough to remember and to stay with and, and be more diligent about. Yeah, and I think luckily in the last few years, there's been light shined on like the priests like that. The Catholic Church came under fire because there was just so many stories about your trusted priest. And then in recent years, scoutmasters like the Boy Scouts, they really got, you know, the light shined on them. So now those are almost like the common like look for them in these places. But it could also be your friend's dad. It could also be um, and and I, I watched one of your episodes where uh, it could be your own parents. You know, your own parents are putting you in this situation and normalizing it. And you don't you think it's normal because they're your parents and you trust them. Um, and so that's where you have to be aware of other people's uh, kids. Are they really is it really normal or is there things to look for? And I can only imagine with the pandemic and not having teachers being able to put eyes on kids. It just got a thousand times worse than it already was. A hundred percent. That's been one really unfortunate. There's been a lot of unfortunate things about this past year. And that's one of them is human trafficking has skyrocketed this past year and just abuse cases, children committing suicide, even young kids getting addicted to drugs and alcohol because they're stuck in a home with, with domestic abuse or domestic pedophilia, um, abusive parents, however that looks within the family household. Um, and they don't have a way out. They don't have a car to go drive away. They don't have people that they can reach out to. And it's, it's a problem, you know, and it's a lot of people might think that it was a, a blessing that, that kids got to stay home and they got to see more of their families. And in a lot of cases it was, there's been a lot of amazing, uh, family relationships that improved over this past year, but we also need to focus on the fact that this has never been more of a problem than it was before 2020, um, 2020 catapulted this industry is making more money than ever right now too. And the amount of children going missing, um, the amount of abuse and the amount of children that are actually affected through suicide and depression and these different health problems that they're experiencing from being stuck in a household with, with the abuse. It's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree with that. I like how you, you know, you noted down that there's been a lot of great things, but with a lot of great things also comes a lot of bad things, you know, and it just was 
it's crazy to me. Like what I was kind of understanding too is like people that are close to children, like the doctors or like, like, I guess the main idea for me that I'm trying to understand is like oftentimes people are attracted to who they're around the most. So if people are around children a lot, there might be a reason for it. You know, there might be like a suspicious sign. And that's generally kind of what I'm hearing is it's this, these people that are around children a lot. It seems like they shouldn't be, uh, like it should be ignored because it's supposed to be normal. But maybe, maybe it isn't. I don't know. It, it's confusing to me. It, it's hard to like pinpoint. It's so big. But I'm trying to figure out like how to be more more vigilant. So I'm wondering if if you have any advice on that or suggestions for myself for the audience. Like, what would you recommend? How could someone take more of a proactive stance? That's a really great question. I think being aware. So again, we trust a lot of these people blindly. Right. We drop our kids off at school. We, we take them to soccer practice. We take them to the pediatrician and don't go into the office with them. We sit out in the lobby, right? right. I think that there just needs to be more awareness of I'm going to sit in at my child's soccer. I'm not just going to leave them just so I can have an hour to myself. I'm actually going to watch and I'm going to pay attention to the other kids too. I'm going to have open dialogues with my children. I'm going to tell them what what they're able to, what they should and shouldn't consent to and what they can come talk to me about. And that if any of these parts of their body are violated, that I'm the first person that, that they can trust to come talk to. I really think that conversation in itself is the most important because a lot of kids, it's shameful in the household to talk about um, sex. It's shameful to, to use that anatomy with your body parts and to go to mom and ask her really embarrassing question about your body or something that you heard about in school that, that boys do with girls. And is this true? Right. right. I think opening up that dialogue to your child and saying, I, I do have to drop you off at school. I know I can't be with you 24 hours a day, but please understand that if there's anything, if anybody violates you in these areas, and they touch you there, they make you feel uncomfortable. If you're at a friend's house and their parent is, makes you uncomfortable or does something, I don't care if it's midnight, call me. Yeah. Call me and I'll come get you. I will believe you and I will, you know, don't take advantage of it, but I will believe you. I will stand by you and I will fight for you. I think really opening up that dialogue does so much more than what parents realize because kids, they don't have again, the discernment, it's really hard, even as adults, right? Everybody can probably look back in their life and look at a friend that they had or a boyfriend that now as, as time has gone on, they're like, what did I ever see in that person? They were a complete jerk to me. They treated me horribly. I was manipulated for years. I didn't even realize I was going through that. I, I can't believe that I was ever friends or I dated this person. Yeah. We can all do that. And we fell into that kind of spell that people have that's grooming right? When somebody kind of shows up and, and sweeps you off your feet and makes you feel like you can trust them and love them when behind the scenes, they're almost living this double life to where they're not who they're showing you that they are. If it can happen to us as adults, imagine going through that as a child and then not knowing those signs or what is right and wrong with your body and knowing that you have somebody to go talk to if something's violated on you. So I think just from a, a parent's perspective, opening up that conversation with your child is so important. And then getting really involved with what they're doing, do Google searches and research the people that you're, that you're um, sending your child to be with one-on-one -on -one or communicate with other parents. 
make sure everything's okay with their children, right? Opening up that dialogue as a community, we've just shut the subject down to where it's like this no-no topic. It should not be weird to watch out for your neighbor or to have a conversation with another parent and say, hey, is your, are your kids okay? Is there anything... Is there anything that I should worry about sending my kid to this school or, or sending ref, sending my kid to this referral of this pediatrician or taking my kid to this daycare? Have you heard of any weird stories or have you experienced anything? We should be really coming together as a community and talking about this, even if it's not specifically about what the abuse is and what this type of abuse is and what that type of abuse is. Coming together as a community and looking over each other is huge. And many of us don't do that. We're we're not conditioned to, we're just conditioned that pediatricians are just, and a lot of pediatricians are great. I'm not saying <laughs> yeah, it's all yeah. of them. I want to make that I know, clear. I'm glad there you said that. I'm like, we've been coming down on pediatricians and I don't even know yes. one. I don't even know a pediatrician. <laughs> right. There's so many amazing, it's just like cops, right? There's good cops and bad cops. There's bad in, in every good. And cool. that's, that's the polarity of it. And we can't just accuse everybody of guilty until proven innocent. But at the same time, it doesn't hurt to do some extra research, to go see if there's ever been a court case against this person, to communicate with other parents who are involved with this, this person, whether it is their, their children are seeing them for treatment or being coached by them or being taught by them. When we do that, we start to build a community and we can call the people out who are the bad eggs in that industry right? and really bring light and, and, support the people that are doing good and recognize those people also. And those are the people that should be getting our business. And those are the people that we should be sending our children to. And many of us are very unaware that some of the people that we're affiliated with are perpetuating this cycle and they're in the industry they're in because they have more access to children, not because they actually want to help them. So I think those two things just creating more of a community and not being afraid to ask those uncomfortable questions to your child and to parents. And then also to do more research on who it is that we're working with and, and to dig up things, you know, that shouldn't, we do that with, with work. We do, we do research on a lot of things that we get involved with before we get involved, but we're taught to just blindly trust an authority figure because they're looked highly upon in society instead of just digging a little bit and hopefully the the results come back and everything that you see is is raving reviews and there's nothing bad to be heard that's what we all want but if there's one person out of 100 that's abusing a child we need to find a way to weed that one person out so those other 99 people can get our business there we should not be sending children willingly to receive treatments or to get coached by pedophiles yet a lot of us do unknowingly just because we're not even aware that that could happen of course you know so those two things to me are, are really important but just that education and awareness and again we can't be with our kids 24 hours a day but if they're young can you take that hour and go go sit with them instead of going to the bar with your friends or taking that hour for yourself can you go sit in, in the field and just keep an eye out on the kids while they're while they're out there knowing that a lot of parents are going to take that opportunity to maybe leave and not watch or to sit on their phone the whole time, have more of an eye out on, on your environment. That's, that's really key when all these things are happening under our noses to be able to have the children understand what's right and wrong to have the parent be somebody that they can trust. And then to have the parents eyes on the whole situation, instead of just blindly trusting that everybody's going to have their best interests in mind. Yeah. And then I would say for people like Dallas and yourself, if you don't have kids, just raising other people's awareness of maybe who do have kids and shining a light and being a support system or being aware when they're not being aware. 
uh, I think that's, you know, the best contribution that you guys could do and myself as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. That was one of, I had a guest on my show, Lisa Meister, and she has children and she's a survivor and had to raise her kids, you know, age appropriately with exposing them to her story and this information. And one of the questions that she was asked before was, um, how, you know, when I'm talking to another adult, like, how do I introduce this information to them? She said, you know, with a kid, do it on terms that you're comfortable with. You know, you know, your children have that conversation age appropriate, but when you're talking to an adult, be blunt with them. We can handle that. We need to know exactly how it is. That way it does create that. Oh my gosh, this could happen. That awareness. We can't sugarcoat this anymore. We really have to make it blunt and just be very honest about what it is and what it isn't instead of tiptoeing around it and sugarcoating it and making it seem less than, you know, that too is something as adults we need to become more comfortable with is just having more candid conversations on the topic and being okay with it, being uncomfortable and being okay with, with that shock factor of somebody saying, what did you just say? Yeah. That's, that's actually happening, you know, in that exact way, we have to really be honest with it now. Like it's been sugarcoated and hidden for so long. We don't have time for that anymore. We really have to get into kind of this nitty gritty of what it is and what it isn't. Otherwise it just keeps getting brushed under the rug. Yeah, no, I, I, I subscribe to that too. I think people tend to think other people are made of glass and we're not humans are not made of glass. We're not weak and we don't crumble easy. And it's important to be blunt and honest and have the hard conversations. I think in in our field, uh, addiction and counseling and moving through trauma and getting better and healing, it's all hard conversations. But a lot of the takeaways or the progress comes directly from someone finally asking that hard question, right? Someone someone believing that you're not made of glass and I know you can answer this. And on the other side of this question is, is healing or help or support or advice, whatever it may be. So I think that's a huge parallel or takeaway. And I'm glad you brought that up. The, the being blunt, go for it. Let people know these things do happen. We're not made of glass. Life isn't perfect. Yeah. Blunt, direct, like whatever we need to say, just say it. And people will either be like shocked or they'll be like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Thank you. (laughs) Exactly. Right. And there's different ways to talk to a child about it, but adult to adult, we really just need to start having the conversation however we can to get the information across to somebody. So they'll take it seriously. Yeah. And let's be honest. I mean, from my experience in the rehab world, I would say 99% of trauma that's occurred, at least for women, I'm not going to quote that number on men. But every woman has been through some sort of either incestual or inappropriateness or even some form of rape is at the bottom of almost every woman's addiction. And so it's not like something they've never heard or thought about before. It's very common. It just needs to be talked about more so that they don't feel alone. Of course. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I I mean, I would... I don't think I have statistics around that number, but the amount of experiences I can think about where we bring something up and track it all the way down to some traumatic event, some traumatic relationship, some core false belief. It it definitely it's it's definitely there a lot more than most people would think. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree any more with those. 
Oh, yeah, it's upsetting. Wow. I knew I was going to get upset, but that's okay. Yeah. I'm upset because I care. Yeah. And it's like I said, a lot of these, a lot of the the children that grow up in the system, they grow up um, prostitutes or they go into the adult film industry. Yeah. And a lot of, you know, a lot of those entertainers in that industry and, and prostitutes, they do battle with drug and alcohol addiction. Yeah. So that ends up being a path that a lot of these victims take, you know, and it's, that's a really hard system to get out of. And it's, it's a very hard, um, problematic programming that they go through their entire lives just because that's, what's normal to them. Of course. Yeah. I mean, that's another crazy parallel, of course, with the addiction space and the human trafficking space, all this, it's so closely related in so many different ways. It's, it's insane. And, and I would imagine I mean, I guess I'll ask you, Emma, do you know of like centers or like therapists or like resources that specialize in this type of stuff? The hard question, because like I said, a lot of it's a very um, lucrative industry that a lot of affluent people that you wouldn't expect have their toes dipped in to get a piece of that pie. And so I'm very stringent and resistant on endorsing um nonprofits and centers because i honestly don't have a list of them unfortunately of a lot of them that i did find i've confirmed that they they contribute to the trafficking by putting the children back in cps right right you know there's a lot of there's a lot wrong with cps with human trafficking they're a, a huge component of why this industry exists to begin Jeez. with Um, my biggest thing of advice to people of what they can do to help a child is to actually go to find an actual child that needs help and donate to them specifically, give them something that they need, whether it is a lot of survivors that end up coming out of the system, they have a hard time getting jobs because they never worked in their life. They, and they were abused. So they don't have this, this awesome resume or they, they're being blackmailed by people and they are having trouble getting a job that way. Um, or they're not supplied money because they they're just thrown out and now they're homeless, you know, or they're forced to go prostitute. And that's, that's the only job that they think that they can get and that they're worthy of. And that's, what's comfortable to them. So even being able to just give something to a survivor and say, okay, I'm not going to send my money to CPS or to this organization. I'm going to contact that organization and connect directly with the child and see what that child needs and donate directly to that child. Um, I like that. Resources are hard to find also because a lot of what you'll read is going to be considered a conspiracy theory about it. So finding actual survivors, that is the greatest resource that I can suggest people go to, Mm -hmm. right? Like I said earlier, we go, when we want to start a business, we go research people like Andy Frisilla, um, Ed Milet, Tony Robbins. We go look to them as authorities. And I think whenever we're trying to learn about this as a resource, we should go right to the source and say, what survivor can I listen to? Yeah. I'm not, I'm going to stop spending my time on Google and researching all these articles that are really hard to discern what's real and what's not. Who's it actually written by? Um, when was it written? Is it even true? I'm going to go right to somebody who's experienced this and say, please tell me your story. I want to learn from you. So my podcast is a great resource for that. Um, again, a lot of these survivors have either nonprofits or they're creating content based around their stories. They have books. So whatever it is that these survivors are creating, I would really encourage people as a resource to dive into it. 
go watch their, their videos and their content, listen to interviews that they've been on, support their books. Again, a lot of them don't have a lot of money after what they went through. They've been, you know, they've had these horrific lives and um, whether it's blackmail or they don't have a resume to be able to get a job. Um, there's a lot of circumstances that prevent um, human trafficking survivors from ever getting a job and just even buying their book for $9.99 on Amazon can do wonders for them. So supporting their businesses directly, donating to their nonprofits, um, supporting their books. If they are saying that they need something specifically, help them achieve that instead of donating to a nonprofit that they're existing under. Um, find ways directly to learn from survivors and to contribute to them directly. That's how we start to demonetize this industry. We give that money to the actual survivors who need it instead of monetizing the organizations, feeding the system and making people rich that are trafficking children and not actually, you know, doing anything to help them. Yeah. <laughs> well, you heard it here first. Yeah. yeah that's, that's so, that's so important. And, and, I, I, I'm glad we, I, I'm glad we got to that because I would have never thought that I would have never thought that maybe some organizations could be involved in, in whatever ways that they are. And I love the idea of helping someone specifically, you know, I, I love that idea. How would you help someone with drug addiction? You know, you, you help them specifically, you can't donate enough money to end drug addiction or alcohol abuse, you know? So I like that. It's kind of that same that same approach, you know? So I, I appreciate you saying that. That's good advice. And that's, that's really important. Is yeah. What I'm well, as well as not having the resources to really vet an organization and wonder whether it's going to the person or not, just go straight to the source. Like that's the best thing you could do. It supports them. They feel heard. They feel acknowledged. They understand. Um, I think that's, that's amazing. And I think it's also a great way for us to sort of wrap up where we're at today um, with some real life action that everybody can do to sort of help shine a light on this, but also how they can support and help and do their part as well. So thank you, Emma, for coming on our show. You've been absolutely amazing. Um, looking forward to working with you in the future where we can bring some survivors on that have overcome alcohol and addiction and, and their paths and journeys and really grateful for you and all the work that you're doing. I'm so grateful for you guys too. I know this is again, not the normal podcast that you guys would have. And okay. anybody light on this is, is a hero, you know, and just know that there's millions of children, whether you're listening or, you know, this message is to both of you, those millions of children right now are, they're so thankful that, that you're learning and curious about this and getting this information out there. So share, share, share. It just starts with that. Go on your social media, share this episode with people doesn't have to be something you're blasting, but I always tell people like uncomfortable subjects, sometimes the best way to get comfortable having them is to simply share with somebody you trust, start with one person, send something, send this interview to your best friend who might listen. And from there, they might send it to another friend or a family member and it creates a chain, you know, and that's how we start to really build this industry. We start to build a community around survivors and we really get to the end of this child trafficking pandemic. So thank you guys so much for having me on today. Thank you. And I would say to our listeners, if you are struggling with this or you know somebody, also reach out to you for, you know, your story. If you want to talk about it, you want a safe place to do so. 
Um, obviously, you could reach out to me or Dal if that's if that's something that's going on with you and you need help with, or you just want you know advice on how to work through it. So, thank you again for all your hard work. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys too. Of course, Emma. It was great talking to you. And then just real quick, where can people find you on social media just in case they want to reach out? They, I know we mentioned the podcast, but maybe we'll just plug all that one more time and then we'll wrap up. Sure. So I have a Telegram group under the handle Standby Survivors. So if you just type that in the search, um, I post a lot of information in there just because it's not a censored um, platform. Gotcha. So it allows me to share a little bit more information that is more sensitive on other platforms. Um, on Instagram, my name is the Emma Preneur official. So just like entrepreneur, but Emma Preneur. And you can find me there. Also, my podcast, The Imagination, um, is under the handle Your Imagination is Real on Instagram. And you can connect with me from there. I have a link tree and it has all of my different sites that you can find me on if um, if that was a lot to remember. So you can find me on Instagram on either of those pages, my podcast or personal. Click the link in my bio and it'll drop down all the different ways that you guys can find me. There we okay. go. They make it so easy these days. <laughs> yeah, and I'll put I all know. that in the show <laughs> notes too so everyone, everyone can get okay. to you. Awesome. Appreciate of that. Course. Well, thank you so much for your time. This was insightful, impactful, and helpful, and I appreciate you. I appreciate you guys too, and thank you so much for everybody listening. All right, guys, that's our show for today. We hope you found some value from listening, and if you did, please share with someone you know or love. You can find us on social media. We are at Elevate Addiction Services. And if you or a loved one are struggling with addiction, please call our toll-free, confidential 24-hour helpline at 833-33-SOBER or visit our website at elevaterehab.org.